The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. The show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and Today, 1983, Episode 3, The Other Me. In this episode, we will cover August through October. The Complete Beatles Contest on MTV. London, 1963. Beatlemania is raging and you are there. You've won the MTV Grand Prize. You and three friends have a ticket to ride to New York. Then you're off on a Concord. Three hours later, you're following in the Beatles' footsteps, living a day in the life in the Beatles' London. You'll even cross Abbey Road to their recording studio for a private listening party where you'll hear the original Beatles' master tapes. Winner and friends will receive the special edition 13-record set, The Beatles Collection, a video disc player, plus the MGM UA video disc, The Complete Beatles. To win, send a postcard to MTV Complete Beatles, PO Box 1211, Radio City Station, New York, New York, 10101. Grand prize winner and friends must be 18 or older. 25 first prize winners get the video cassette and the two-volume book set, The Complete Beatles. Second prize, 50 video discs. Third prize, 75 book sets. 100 runners-up win The Beatles' 20 greatest hits. The Complete Beatles, The Complete Contest. On MTV Music Television. Light up your face. On July 23rd, Linda McCartney's Photographs Exhibition opens at the Barry Stern Galleries in New South Wales, Australia. It's funny, I've always liked black and white better. I I think it's because you can get a lot of tones, and I just, I like it, you know, I don't really have reasons. And I think you, believe it or not, that you find a lot of color in black and white. Mm. And it's nicer to print, it's easier to print. You said in, in um, one of the interviews that you weren't very concerned with technicalities and you didn't lose, use a light meter. Mm. Do you think that interferes with the pictures at all? No, because I think if you're so busy with light meters and setting things up and everything that you lose the moment. And for me, photographs are memories. I think everybody can take a picture and then they remember what they were like last year or the year before. When you publish the books, and also while you were in Wings, you sort of have to spend an awful lot of your time justifying yourself. Well, in fact, you probably don't try now, even. But how do you feel about, like, when you were in Wings, they criticised you and said you weren't very good on the keyboards? Lies, lies. Oh, not lies. True, true. But I was having fun. I bet they aren't having fun. (laughs) And then when you were um, taking the pictures, they often will try and say that it's because of the people you know that you can get Mm. a good picture. How do you feel Um, about that kind of... Well, I think everybody has a mouth, and these days, you know, the people are having a lovely time criticizing everything, especially the people and the musicians and the artists. All the people I love get heavily criticized, so I'm quite flattered to be criticized. And anyway, I'm not too worried. You know, it's like teachers. They always told me off in school, said, oh, you know, she's always looking out the window daydreaming, could do better. Once I got 
Over in Hawaii on August 13th on the island of Maui, George Harrison is taken to court over a property easement dispute with his neighbors. Harrison petitions and protests his neighbors, making beachgoers uncomfortable in their efforts to utilize the common way, causing them to sue George for 26 million pounds. George claims the common pathway on one side of his 24-acre property is too close to his home, measuring 60 feet from his bedroom window, which he claims intrudes on his privacy. Harrison's neighbors claim that the easement has been there before George bought the property and should have been aware. When George Harrison opted for a change of lifestyle, he bought a piece of paradise in a remote corner of Hawaii. But now the former Beatle is getting anything but peace and quiet, all because of nosy neighbours. Welcome to Maui, Hawaii's most enchanting paradise. It's a peaceful place. Locals call it the hang-loose capital of the world. But now, some of those laid-back islanders are fighting mad, and they're leaving the sunny beaches for an artificially lit courtroom, all because a certain beetle is telling them to get back. It all began some years ago when George Harrison bought 61 acres on the northeast coast of Maui in order to get away from it all. George spent years building a house in this tropical jungle, as far away from civilization as he thought he could get. Little did he know that the house he built is only 20 metres from something called an easement or footpath. It's a footpath that his inland neighbours have been using for years to get out to the point. We didn't sneak in there in the middle of the night and slide this easement under his house. You know, we were there long before him. But George says the neighbours trample his flower beds, make noise, peer in his windows and disrupt his much sought after privacy. And his security under the circumstances is very, very important. Uh, his best friend, uh, John Lennon, was shot by a stranger. And the notion that people at any time of the day or night can come walking within 60 feet of his bedroom uh, is just unacceptable. From the path, there's, while you're walking, it's probably 15 or 20 seconds or 30 seconds, something like that, that you can actually see his house. From after you go down to the point, you can't see his house at all. was 16 kilometers from the town of Hana, out in the middle of nowhere, George Harrison's property. And you guessed it, spelled out in bold ink, a no trespassing sign and a gate complete with lock and key that blocks access to the best fishing spot on the island. And now George Harrison's neighbors are saying, George, you can't do that. My position in here is I have a legal right to go to the ocean. And it's a shame, but we have to take him to court to enforce our rights. And so began the long and winding battle inside a courtroom. The neighbours arrive at every court date dressed in Aloha t-shirts and thongs. Bill even represents himself. Basically, he just figured we'd never be able to do anything about it. And fortunately, we were able to challenge him. A Maui district court judge has already decided that Bill and the others were guaranteed a footpath when they bought their property. So now George wants to move it away from his house, away from the prying eyes of what he calls his nosy neighbours. The problem is the proposed site for George's new path ends in a treacherous 60 metre cliff. The other alternative isn't, uh, I don't know, you say viable at all. Don't like shoveling. 
They say that region of Maui is so private that pizza is delivered by helicopter. on the mainland in the United States on September 6th, Paul and Linda McCartney host their 8th annual Buddy Holly Week. This year's celebration is held for the first time in America, in Lubbock, Texas, Buddy's hometown. Holly doesn't just live on in the minds of his fans. It's said that his music influences many of today's stars. Indeed, today a new Buddy Holly album is released called For the First Time Anywhere. On it are some original Buddy Holly performances discovered only last year in Los Angeles, including this one, The Brown Eyed Flying across the desert in a TWA, I saw a woman walking across the sand. She'd been walking 30 miles in route to Bombay to reach a brown-eyed handsome man. Her destination was the brown-eyed handsome man. Way back in history, 3,000 years, the back of ever since the world began. There's been a whole lot of good women changing tears upon a brown-eyed handsome man. A lot of trouble was a brown-eyed handsome man. Who has Buddy Holly influenced in, in, in present years, anyway? Well, certainly, I suppose any singer-songwriter who plays the role of the underdog in romance or in life. After all, Buddy had a perfectly normal appearance. Uh, he sang words of love, of uh, unrequited love sometimes. Uh, Peggy Sue, after all, got married to someone who wasn't him. And if you look at uh, the picture of old Buddy, you would think that uh, he wouldn't pass the audition for Duran Duran. He wouldn't look too good in makeup. Indeed, I mean, he's not exactly an attractive chap, was he? No, well, he's a normal, friendly chap. Uh, the boy that everybody would like to be. Elvis Costello put on glasses, looking like him. And, and Elton John, too. Elton John specifically wanted to look like Buddy Holly when he got his frames. Yes, indeed. And if you go back a little further in time, of course, you have the Beatles, who named themselves in honor of the Crickets, who were Buddy's group. You have the Hollies, naming themselves after Buddy Holly. You have the Stones having their first big hit with a Buddy Holly song. And and so it goes on, uh, almost everyone. And recently, Linda Ronstadt had two hits in the States with uh, two of his songs. And Mickey Gilley, the owner of the world's largest nightclub, had a number one record in the country charts. Unlike previous years, this event is low-key and hosts local musicians. On September 12th in the UK, BBC Television airs the George Harrison interview that was conducted back in May for the UK TV show Film 83. <laughs> Tonight's program includes George Harrison, the well-known guitarist, talking about him when his friends of the Monty Python team were looking for finance for their film, The Life of Brian, after EMI backed out, having denied them thrice.
Along with financier Dennis O'Brien, he set up an independent production company and came to the Python's rescue. Other pictures swiftly followed, Time Bandits, Scrubbers and The Missionary. Admittedly, the ungrateful Pythons went off to make the meaning of life with an American company, but undeterred, Handmade has returned to business with Bullshot. Reporter Nicholas Shakespeare went to Henley, where the film was being made, and there talked to Mr. Harrison, who is becomingly modest about his role in the business. Well, I'm just somebody who happens to get involved occasionally with movies like this, which are, this is a sort of low-budget film, and it's a new group of people, at least new to the uh, big-time film industry. And, uh, you know, we do sort of smallish things, really. And uh, I wouldn't say I was a mogul, but it's quite fun. It's interesting. Before there was fun, there was Bullshot! Is there no limit to that man's tenacity? There was a time when heroes were straight-limbed, lantern-jawed, well-bred, and British. Do you have any say in choosing this? No. Uh, well, I mean, I did uh, read the script and hear about, you know, but I, it wasn't a choice that I made, if that's what you mean. But I certainly don't object to it. Might you have to bail it out if it goes wrong? Well... If it goes wrong, it's, uh, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I stand to lose money if it loses, but, uh, I mean, that's that's the risk that you take, really. But I think these days you should be able to, with a low-budget film, be able to, you know, at least break even if you can't make anything. You know, I mean, if you talk about over a period of years, and there's a lot of countries, and there's television and video, but hopefully it'll get a decent theatrical release, and, you know, who knows? proud to have lost uh, Monty Python. I haven't lost Monty Python. They're, they're still good friends of mine. Uh, if you mean uh, the fact that we didn't produce the last film, I'm not sad. I didn't produce the first two. Um, I, it was a pleasure to be able to, at that time, bail them out of that situation and uh, come out of it with a film that was funny. You know, I'm happy whichever way things turn out. I don't try to hang on to, you know, rather hang on to friendships than business deals. Have you got any more ideas for films or more projects? There's a lot of things, you know, obviously the more um, films that we've made, the more scripts come in and they're pouring in. At, uh, you know, there's a lot of scripts and there's, there's a number of ideas in the works and it, it's a matter of sorting them out and, you know, the, the ones which are going to be uh, made into films sort of evolve out of, over a period of time, there's going to be a few. And Bullshot is the first of the few. On Thursday, September 22nd at London's Royal Albert Hall, the Everly Brothers, the American rock duo known for their close harmony singing in the 1950s and 60s, staged a comeback reunion concert. Paul and Linda, alongside Ringo and Barbara, attend the show. Night and I 
September 23rd, 24th, and 25th, over in Secaucus, New Jersey, Mark and Carol Lapidus present Beetlefest 83, the 12th official New York Metropolitan Area Beatles Fans Convention. This year it's held at the Meadowlands Hilton Hotel. My friends and I attend on Saturday, September 24th. Special guests for this year's fest include Pete Shotton, John Lennon's childhood and lifelong friend. Pete, along with author Nicholas Schaffner, just released a book called John Lennon, In My Life. Pete will be on hand to offer many of his personal Beatles stories, like the time Pete and John were reading fan letters and Lennon pulled an old school rhyme and put it into a song. 
Here's Pete. One day I pulled one out, which was from a, a kid who went to the same school, who was going to the same school that we used to go to, which is Quarry Bank High School. And he was writing to John to tell John that in their music and art classes, um, they were asked as an exercise by the master to interpret um, a Lennon McCartney song, you say. And the master would then check it out, right, and give his views on it, whether it was correct or incorrect, and all the rest of it like this. And when John heard this, I mean, he just cracked up laughing because you see when we left school um what happens is you get a final report you get a report every year but the final report that john got whereby all the masters give their comments you know and then the, fi the final remark which is to sum up the child who had supposedly been educated at that school was from mr Pobjoy said this boy is bound to fail he didn't say anything else this boy is bound to fail um <laughs> so john and i were really cracking up about this it was incredible so he turned around to me he said I don't know where the inspiration came from, but he said, Pete, what was that silly little um, poem that we used to say as kids, something to do with yellow matter custard or something, right? And I thought for a moment, and it all came back to me. I have a pretty good recall for all those years. And it was, and I'll quote it for you, it was yellow matter custard, green slop pie, all mixed together with a dead dog's eye. Slap it on a butty, that's a sandwich, by the way, in Liverpool, ten foot thick, and then wash it down with a cup of cold sick. It was one of those revolting little poems that kids make up and pick up on, right? And John cracked up. He said, that's it, Pete, that's that's it, great. And he started writing down. He got yellow matter custard dripping from a dead dog's eye. And as he wrote it down, he turned around to me with a great big smile on his face and he said, let the so-and-sos work that one out, Pete. <laughs> right. Yellow matter custard Dripping from a dead dog's eye Grab a lock of fishwife Pornographic priestess Boy, you've been a naughty girl You let your knickers down Master of Ceremonies is WPLJ Radio DJ Jimmy Fink. Entertainment is provided by the band Liverpool. Blended time is guaranteed for all. More Beatles nostalgia occurs when Capitol Records in America prepare for the 20th anniversary release of the 1964 hit, I Wanna Hold Your Hand. Advanced copies of the re-release are sent to radio stations around the United States. First hit record in the United States and changed rock and roll. Well, tonight John Slattery takes us back to those golden moments. Yesterday, it's music that became the theme of a whole generation. You say you want a revolution. It's 
It's music that not only appealed to the young, but with a new sensitivity, it drew millions of older fans as well. that we first heard this new sound on the radio it was exactly 20 years ago 20 years ago in this week of october 1963 a new record sent out to just a handful of stations the first station to play it on the entire east coast was wabc the disc jockey who claims the honor of spinning it first is himself a blast from the past, a New York institution, Cousin Brucey. I, I, I put this record on the air, and the phones lit up like crazy. The American Broadcasting Company at that day was completely immobilized. People wanted to hear that record. I played the record about ten times that night. At that point, the record had not yet been released in this country, but with the Beatles already a phenomenal success in Europe, Capitol Records sent out three or four special promotional recordings, unsure of just what the reaction would be here in the U.S. But once that record went on the air the very first time, I have never in my career seen anything happen the way that happened. Ironically, that wasn't the station's first chance to play the Beatles. One year before that, in 1962, a Beatles record released on a British label was sent to WABC, yet Cousin Brucey says he and the others who chose the station's music gave it a thumbs down. We never played it in the United States until October of 1963. <laughs> We're all geniuses, right? I look back now and I say to myself, oh, a full 20 years ago. That couldn't have been 20 years ago. It brings back good memories. 20 years of music that grew, that changed. I wasn't even born yet. All starting in this week of October 1963. John Slattery, Channel 7, Eyewitness News. In October, singer and TV personality Tracy Allman had a number one hit single with a 1979 UK chart topper by Kirsty McCall. Tracy's music video for the song featured a rather unique ending. Tracy is seen in the front seat of a car driven by Paul McCartney. It was a nod of thanks for Tracy for being in Paul's upcoming film. Bad boy. 
single in video was a huge hit in Europe and America. On October 3rd, Parlophone Records in the UK and Columbia Records in America released the single Say 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 by Paul McCartney featuring Michael Jackson. The next day, on October 4th in Los Alamos, California, Paul, Linda, and Michael film a video for the song. Bob Giraldi, who also did Jackson's Beat It video. Uh, I wanted to work with someone that Michael would be comfortable with. Mm. You know, because sometimes you can get a brainwave and think, so-and-so would be great. Fellini, wow. Yeah. Now he would be great. But, I mean, you can think, and he get him, and he agrees to do it. But some of the chemistry can go wrong. So uh, I knew Bob had worked with Michael. Bob Giraldi, who directed it, had worked with Michael. And um, so I, I thought that, it, and I liked his work. I wanted to work with him. He came over and um, he had this feeling of Michael and I working together, which is kind of a free feeling. He, he wanted to com com communicate this sort of freedom of like, you know, easy rider, you know, get out. Um, so it was his idea to do this uh, kind of Butch Cassidy and Sundance, this, this sort of sting idea, and to make it a period thing. And uh, I loved it, you know. I think the first pop video, whatever you call it, where there is sort of like a little scene at the beginning. I mean, it's almost a total feature film. The director said he wanted to do something a bit different, and he wanted to do this uh, bit at the beginning, you know, and uh, this is his idea, really. There's, it seems like there's a lot of you in there, though, that, that's those stage sequences when you're, uh, the clowns and the... Well, you know, I got great. to busk all that stuff, because I'm not really a dancer, you know, like, and we had uh, Jeff, choreographer, who did flash dance. And he was just hitting me with it. He was just saying, right, you know, we, we, we get a setup for a shot. And he'd say, right, so what I want you to do, two, three, pull the three to the left, and two to the right, pull this thing out, and he'd go, oh, yeah, great. <laughs> Can I have two weeks' notice in writing? We managed to busk our way through it and stuff, you know. So I suppose that puts a bit of, it, a bit of me in it, you know, and all that silly stuff. It was great, though. We did it in three days, you know, out in California. Mm -hmm. And it was a blast doing it. Paul utilizes nearby locations, including the Union Hotel, where Paul is seen playing pool. Heather McCartney makes a cameo appearance in the children's foster home sequence. Also in the film is Art Carney. And Michael's sister, LaToya Jackson. You were giving me a running commentary about everybody that was in the film. The producer, the directors, in. they're all in it. It's done on the cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Just to say again, for the benefit of everybody else, who was in it? Well, the director's the fellow playing pool, who I beat playing pool. The fellow handing the money is over as the producer. And all the people are all the local people. So the, the old guy doing all the that. old fellow, yeah. He's, in fact, uh, after the thing, he got it went to his head, and he's never been seen since. <laughs> That's true, actually. Really. Whereabouts did you shoot him? It was uh, about an hour and a half outside Los Angeles, in uh, the Santa Inez Valley. And now I'd like you to watch the video of uh, Say Say Say. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Gather round. Come on, gather round. Step right up, step right up. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, gather round. Let me tell you all about the Mac and Jack Wonder Potion, guaranteed to give you unbelievable power. Yes, my friends, it can give you the strength of a raging bull. I'll try one. Oh, here's a young gentleman. I'd like to try one. Yes, sir. Yeah. Drink it up. 
Let me help you with that, my friend. Try it. Woo! <laughs> Sir?
The single reached number one on the U.S. Billboard Top 100 charts and stayed there for six weeks, while in the U.K. it peaked only at number 10. The B-side was a song called Ode to a Koala Bear. According to the drummer on the track, Paul Robinson, McCartney told him that he wrote it about one of his kids' toys. The song was recorded in December of 1980 before John Lennon was killed.
for Noel Edmonds and his unsuspecting audience in the television centre in another live Late Late Breakfast show. On October 29th on the BBC TV variety show, The Late Late Breakfast Show, hosted by DJ Noel Edmonds, Paul and Linda McCartney appear before a live studio audience for the first time in years. off now. I've just been outside checking. You'll be pleased to know everything outside is all right. Everything is... Everything's hunky-dory out there. It's a bit cold. It's a little bit windy, but the hundreds of people waiting outside to entertain you and make your whole Saturday evening turn into a blur of excitement. They say everything outside is all right, so it will be all right. Phone call in the office this week, and then somebody phoned me at home and said, guess who wants to come on the programme? And I said, don't be silly. It's a joke. It's got to be a joke, because he just doesn't appear on TV shows. I'm delighted to say not only is he here, he's brought his wife as well, ladies and gentlemen, Linda and Paul McCartney. That is a fact. You do not appear on TV shows like this, chat shows or anything. I don't know. I'm sure I've done something in ten years, but I can't remember it, you know. <laughs> is it a conscious effort that maybe you don't like answering questions? You stay away from people who might ask questions? Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll get the one-word answers now. Then. Yes. <laughs> no. Um, this is going to be really... Oh, thank you very much for coming, Linda. You're very welcome. Would like to touch of this? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I need at the moment. You've got a film you're working on, Broad Street. Yeah. And it's not out yet, and it's not coming out for about another nine months. Why? True. Uh, we're still working on the music, doing the uh, score, incidental music. No. And it's taking a bit of time, you know, and then they're going to release it, I think, uh, spring of summer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what's, it, what's it about? Uh, it's, it's very like Olivia's film, actually. <laughs> There's all this water, you see. Um, no. Um, what's it about, seriously? Please. It's um, the tapes to my new album go missing, and I've got a friend who works for me who used to be a criminal, and people suspect him, and I don't, and that's loosely the plot. <laughs> and then I get into bed with John Travolta. there with him. Do you sing any songs in this film? Yeah. What, what sort of songs will we be hearing? Uh, um, some old, some new. Something borrowed. Oh, something <laughs> was, it, was it your idea to make the film, or was it one of these many suggestions you must receive? Uh, no, it was, actually. I wrote it for uh, my sins. So, yeah, it was my idea. And you're in it as well, I believe. Alan. Yes, I'm in it a bit. Did he, did he have to force you to take part, or was it something you'd always wanted to do? Um, not really. John Travolta was a bit. <laughs> a bit different. Hmm, yeah. good. Not again. You see why they didn't ask me for ten years? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Good night.
On October 31st, Parlophone Records in the UK and Columbia Records in America released the album Pipes of Peace by Paul McCartney. speaking with his voice and uh, I seem to be sitting here about to tell you about the Pipes of Peace album. Any noises you may hear in the background, such as this, is just a little cup of tea being gently sipped in between tracks. All right? Thank you. Tonight, The Source brings you Paul McCartney's only authorized American radio interview with music from his latest album, The Pipes of Peace. You have Pipes of Peace, we had Tug of War, we have... Um, opposites we have black and white we have ebony and ivory we have mm -hmm. so many references to, is there in your mind some sort of relationship between the two records yeah i'm in a rut no seriously what it is yeah seriously, uh, folks. what it is really is the tug of war the theme behind it came to, as we were doing it and stuff came to be about the struggle of opposites uh boy and a girl they've got to live together and yet they're very different animals and it's very difficult you know divorce and all the marriage and all this sort of stuff. parents children they're really sort of similar but there's always this crazy on off yeah no hate love it's a big struggle kind of going on it seems you know and even in science and physics and everything there's always this big struggle mm -hmm. so that was what tug of war was about you know what, what is all this about the story was posing the question tug of war 
and Pipes of Peace was nearly going to be Tug of War Part 2, but we decided that the, the new material was like giving an answer to that question, you know, what do you do about this eternal struggle? Yeah. And the idea was peace and love, brother. It, it's an old idea, uh, but there, I couldn't find any other answer. It's, it's, the, it's the straight old answer, you know, that in love, things seem to just work out. And let's begin with the first track on the album, the title track. How did the song Pipes of Peace come about? I was originally rung up by a friend of mine who said he had something to do with a children's organization um, that helped children all around the world. He was interested in getting a song that would bring people's attention to um, the need of these little kids, you know. So uh, in response to that, I started off with the, the bit of all around the world, little children being born to the world, the verse bit. And I started plonking away on that. And I got that, so I was quite happy with it. And then on another occasion, I saw a quote in, you know, one of these little books they have, which like, love is happiness. I think a fan had sent it to me, really. And uh, in it, there was a quote by Rabindranath Tagore, which says that in love, all of life's contradictions dissolve and disappear. So I wrote this bit about, I light a candle to our love, in love our problems disappear, based on that thought of his. And then I found that it went nicely into, with this children's song. So um, that was it, you know, we put all that together and what have you got? Pipes of Peace. Will the human race be run in a day? In a day. 
album Pipes of Peace. So, we'll uh, just have a little sip of tea. Wait a minute here. <coughs> Wonderful. Uh, the Other Me is uh, track three on side one of Pipes of Peace album. I wrote this one when I was on holiday in Scotland and I, I was walking around the hills and stuff trying to think of an idea for a song and this idea came into my mind. You know, I, I say stuff that uh, obviously that that I think, you know, uh, stuff stuff that isn't just completely made up from the imagination will generally be something that's been running through my mind. And one of the themes that I sometimes think about is the other me that, that can be uh, a bit better than I normally am. You In know, what way? How, how, I don't know, how you wish you'd be. I mean, if you have an argument and you sit after it and you sort of think, oh, I wish I hadn't done that, I don't like these. And then, so that would have been the other me that wouldn't have argued. And uh, that kind of idea, you know, that, there's, that inside all of us there is someone quite groovy. And you meet him maybe when you're drunk, and you meet him a few times, you know, but he generally doesn't come out. With the fantasist? You know, the other you. I was imagining it like um, a kind of early R&B type of song. I know I, you know, that kind of stuff. I know I was a crazy fool For treating you the way I did but something took a hold of me And I acted like a dustbin lid I didn't give a second thought To what the consequence might be I really wouldn't be surprised If you were trying to find another me Cause the other me would rather be the glad one The other me would rather play the fool I wanna be the kind of me that doesn't let you down as a rule I know it doesn't take a lot To have a little self-control but every time that I forgot Well, I landed in another hole But every time you pull me out I find it harder not to see 
can try to find the other me. Other me would rather be the glad one. Yeah, the other me rather play the fool. Said I wanna be the kind of me that doesn't let you down as a rule. But if I ever hurt you, well you know that it's not real. It's not easy living by yourself. Try again. I'll have a better attitude. I know that one and one makes two, and that's what I want us to be. I really would appreciate it if you'd help me find the other me. The other me would rather be. an interesting little track, isn't it, boys? Okay.、Um, when we started off doing Tug of War, I think one of the first tracks we went to record was "Keep Undercover," and we thought it was going to fit on that album. But it went through, underwent a lot of changes. This song, and when we were ready to finish Tug of War, this song wasn't finished, so it didn't get on Tug of War.、Um, and when "Pies of Peace" album came about. This seemed to fit in more with with the style of songs we got here. So that one goes back quite a while, a couple of years, really, before you know when it was originally started. And、uh, it's one of those. Some, sometimes you know songs come really quickly, and you just record them quick, and it's all over with quickly. Some of them hang around for a while, you know, like a painting you're just working on, and you do a little bit here and a little bit there. Eventually, it was finished up and put on this album. Keep undercover. Without you by my side. Ooh, 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 ooh. 
has almost invariably been exactly that. It's pop, not mm. what we expect. Mm. Well, of course, you know, really, it's blues delta. But what do they know? Well, it struck me. I, I looked at the Rolling Stone review, which I thought was the most absurd thing I've ever read in my life. Mm. I don't know. You know, you can't, you can't uh, expect good reviews anymore. There was a time when you could sort of bring something out and someone would say, uh, this is quite good, I'm not that keen on this, I think you should do this, but, uh, you know, there's something good about it. Um, but I suppose nowadays that people like the Stones and people who are established like that, the first thing a journalist's almost got to say is, well, it, let's get this straight, it's rubbish. Continuing in a moment. Part two of Pipes of Peace. I'm so lucky to, I mean, you hear people talking about a gift. And, you know, I, I don't really think of it as that, but it is. It is a gift. And I'm so lucky to have been allowed to just do that much music. A new John and Yoko spoken word album is released. The record is called Heartplay, an unfinished dialogue, and is produced by Polydor Records at $5.98. And Yoko returns to London with Sean. Next on Yesterday and Today. Oh, 
Daddy. 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 For more information or to contact the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at yesterdaypod on Twitter and search Yesterday and Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time. Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts Yesterday and Today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. (laughs) Wow. And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the shows. As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? <laughs> Don't worry, we will. <laughs> you can head to our social media pages, that's facebook.com slash yesterday and today podcast, or facebook.com slash third men, or you could head to society6.com slash Kaminsky family podcast, that's society, the number six, dot com slash K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I Family Podcasts. Yeah, keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello? The lights just went out. (laughs) Guys, we need your help. (laughs) Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send forth in and get a free one. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Dad. All right. We'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see me. Bye.